welcome to another episode of Getting Off the Hamster Wheel, how to find a career that brings you joy, fulfillment, and success. My name is Karen Weeks, and today we have Brian Smith joining us to share his story of how he built a career around pushing performance, first from his own in the military, then working with athletes, and now running a tech company supporting employee performance. So let's jump in and hear Brian's story. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited to have Brian on our show today. Brian has a really interesting story, and I I think it's one of those places where maybe you don't realize it as you go, but everything kind of builds to the next thing, and you look back, and it was all leading you to this one place. So welcome, Brian. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We've been chatting for about four months now trying to get this done, so it's (laughs) it's exciting. Yeah, we are. It's funny. The people I talk to are all amazingly busy, wonderful, successful people, which means all of our lives are very crazy, especially with everything going on right now. So I'm glad this is finally happening. Um, And we are introduced by a mutual friend, which is always nice as well. So would love to have you uh, share with the audience just an initial sort of headline about who you are and, and what's important to you. And then we'll dig deeper and dive right into the details. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm one of the co-founders at a company called Leon, which is an employee performance product um, or platform. Uh, But, you know, for me personally, I'm a human performance professional. So that's what I do, right? And that's what I've done my whole entire career. Excellent. Yeah. And that um, is really the thread through all of this, even though it looked like different things at different times. So so let's kind of quote unquote, start from the beginning. Um, when you were the typical age of 18, 19, starting to think about what you wanted to be when you grew up and had to, to supposedly start making those decisions, what were you thinking? What, what did you think your path was going to be? Sure. So, all right. So how brutally honest do we want to get on this podcast? <laughs> As vulnerable as you wish. <laughs> okay, so as vulnerable as I wish. So, you know, it's funny within, you know, the sort of tech world that I think we live in, um, you don't really hear much different, many different stories, right? So, you know, but I think with, you know, you asked that question, what was I doing when I was 18, 19 years old? You know, truth be told, I had no effing clue. You know, I was, I was a really bad kid. You know, my father was an alcoholic who died when he was, when I was young and, you know, I lived in sort of a broken house. Mm. So, you know, I got in trouble a lot. I was probably, ex- I was expelled from 10th, 11th and half of 12th grade. Oh my gosh. For random things. I wasn't like that bad of a kid. I was just, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't like that uh, people telling me what to do. And I sort of still don't, <laughs> you know, eventually I, I sort of wisened up a little bit. And what that led to was me joining the U S army. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's interesting because me joining the U.S. Army was really the first time in my life that I ever experienced, you know, discipline of any sort, you know. Um, but it was also the first time in my life that I ever experienced any sort of success, mm. you know, and, you know, got that feeling of accomplishment and, you know, sort of putting your mind to something and then coming out the other side better for it. Um, so, from there, you know, I, it, it ended up being about, and what I really enjoyed was the concept of, you know, optimization or, you know, just becoming a better person, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one of the things that the military really instills in you, right? It's, yeah. you know, about becoming better physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and I sort of became addicted to it. Yeah. 
It's so interesting. First of all, I always ask the question of like the 18, 19 year old story, because of course you didn't know what you wanted to be. You're 18 and 19. I mean, like that's kind of the, that's what I try to encourage with folks around career journeys is that what you thought you were going to be as a teenager without any context of what the real world is like is most likely not where you probably land. Um, and I think, you know, it's so interesting. I hear so many people talk about the, what the military gave them and whether they stayed in it for a longer career or just a shorter, um, you know, stint for what they were required to do in the beginning. They all say something very similar that it really tells you something about yourself and really sets you up to realize I can do things I didn't realize I could do. And maybe I hadn't heard that before. And that is one of the best things they get out of the program. Yeah, I totally, you know, are you familiar with um, the book Grit by Angela Duckworth? By yes. chance? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think that's the one thing that the military really teaches you is the concept of grit. Yeah. And it's interesting because most of the people that you find within, you know, your basic training sort of environment or boot camp, they're all the same relatively, right? I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, from all over different parts of the country, like I remember one person, you know, in our, in our structure who had never met a minority ever in his wow. whole entire life, right? But then, you know, he walks into boot camp and you have this like six foot eight, 275 pound black, black man just screaming in his face. <laughs> so it's like, it's just so funny. But in the end, and what is really interesting is they all become a team. Yes. You know, so different varieties of people, different emotions, different everything. But in the end, you all sort of end up working together, which, you know, was, was really, and, and all under a very heightened level of stress. Yeah. You know, and I, and I don't, I don't know if anybody else can teach that lesson better than the military. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said, this is a, could be a whole other tangent, but there's something to be said around the way the military is able to bring people together and become a high performing team to your point in the most stressful situations. And what can we be learning about that? Like outside of the military? Um, Cause if you can do totally. it there, there's something that you know we should be learning from that, but uh, like I said, that could be a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so, as you, when you got out of the military, did you think about staying there for a longer term career, or did you know it was a short term thing that was going to take you to something else? Yes. Yeah, so, I think when I was in there, and it, it's funny when you're in the military and when you're in the basic training because you know, brainwashed is a bad word, but you become really sort of gung-ho about it, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I had a job, my job was civil affairs. So in civil affairs, it would be going into, you know, a, a town or whatever and talking to local tribal officials and sort of bartering relationships and whatnot, trying to win the hearts and minds of, you know, the people, which was cool and all, but by the end of basic training, like I wanted to be a ranger, you know, special <laughs> forces, whatever. And I was like bought in completely, but that subsided sort of mm -hmm. as you go into your training. You know, I was a, I was a reservist. Um, so, you know, coming out and sort of going into the real world. Um, so I was a little bought in there, but eventually, you know, that came to just going to college, you know, mm -hmm. going to university. Um, and what I really liked and was interested in at the time was that sort of human performance aspect of things, right? So I went to school for exercise science, um, all on the end goal of training professional athletes. And I love the title exercise science. Yeah. Um, and I, again, well, that kind of keeps building throughout your, your career, but I think it really speaks to um, not just physically making them stronger, but what is it about them and what they need to do as individuals to actually be the best uh, performer they can be. So what kind of work does that then lead to once you graduate? 
in the beginning, a lot of it's it's applied learning as well, right? So you learn a bunch of things in university, but um, once you get into it, you have to learn how to actually be a coach and a leader, mm. right? Um, and then applying the coach and leadership aspect of it to the science that you learned, right? Like, you know, I could break down what happens on a cellular level during any single exercise, right? Wow. But does an, does an athlete care about that? 100%. <laughs> Right. Like if I say, yeah, we're trying to increase the, you know, the, the capacity of your white blood, you know, like there's so many different <laughs> things that you can go into, um, which they don't care about. Right. So you have to learn how to do that information down to a, a digestible manner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so once I got out of university, um, you know, I eventually found myself working in uh, professional sports, mm-hmm. uh, working primarily with uh, track and field athletes. Mm-hmm. So that you know, could range anywhere from your 800 meter, you know, Jamaican athlete who runs a half a mile in a minute and 45 seconds, Jeez. you know, to a shot putter to a 325 pound vegan shot putter from India, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, you know, I actually had eventually got to the point where I had 13 athletes in the, in the Rio Olympics through a bunch of different um, modalities within track and field. Wow. That is so cool. And I would imagine there is also a real piece of getting to know them as individuals because I'm sure they all have very different motivations. It's not just the obvious, like, I want to get to the Olympics, but, you know, their cultural backgrounds, their, uh, the sport itself, you know, run faster versus throw something really, really hard and far um, mm-hmm. is all very different mindset. So I would imagine there's a real interesting psychology or, or something like that tied to the work that you were doing. Well, totally. Um, you know, I love the term what, N equals one, right? Mm-hmm. From a from a science standpoint, from a statistics standpoint, because that's what we are as human beings. There, there, no one is similar, and no mm-hmm. one is cookie cutter. And the same thing that either you working with a professional athlete on how to increase a fraction of a second within running, a, you know, a sprint, is the same way of you managing, you know, a salesperson, right, mm-hmm. or a product team member where we're all so inherently different. And regardless if it's an exercise program or the way that you communicate to someone, um, that's a skill that you really have to learn on, on how to read that and understand that properly. Yeah, no, I think it's so fair. And I, it's something that I talk to managers about all the time is it's not about how you wanna be motivated, it's how that individual is motivated. It's not how your team is motivated, it's how that individual is motivated, because we are, we're all very individual humans, and whether that's how we're reacting to stress during times like this, whether that is what motivates us, how we like to be recognized, you know, all of that is individual, even if we're all sales rep or, or all engineers on a team. Totally, totally. The recognition part is actually really interesting, right? Because like, I hate being recognized. You know, if I work <laughs> in a corporate environment and someone pushed pushed out on Slack, like, "Hey, Brian did this, yada yada yada," like that's the last thing that I want. <laughs> but, but it's a, but it's a very good example. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, also to like how how people manage stress. Yes. You know, stress and mental health issues, like all those things are are so individualized and so subjective and really so personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think sometimes as companies, we, we tend to, to miss that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, I think in the beginning of everything that happened in 20 or is happening in 2020, we really focused on the individual as we all went home and was dealing with COVID because everybody just had such individual circumstances. But I worry a little bit that as we stay home, some of that is getting lost um, as we now have to figure out how to keep doing this. 
I mean, I hope not, you know, I mean, I mean, what are you seeing throughout your industry? I mean, are you seeing that, you know, there is a, a much human a shift to sort of like a human first approach or an individual approach to either managing teams or whatnot? Like, are you seeing that during this time? I'm seeing it for sure when it comes to the individual needs in the sense of I am fully supportive that you as a working parent need to take four hours off in the afternoon to be yeah. a parent or you know, you, God forbid, had someone get sick and so you need to help take care of them or you're living with your parents or like all those different uh, personal situations for sure. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm starting to see a little bit and really helping my managers with is making sure the development piece isn't getting lost. Um, we're being so supportive of the individual that we need to make sure we're still giving feedback, that we still help them see their development path, which by the way, probably looks completely different than it did in March um, right. because the structure may look different, the work may be different, whatever. Um, but I think people are so burned out and so worried about everybody's time that they're like, oh, that's one more meeting that I can't, I don't want to add that or I'm not even thinking right. about it. And I think that's getting lost right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it really comes down to the performance monitoring aspect mm -hmm. of sort of what we do, right? But, you know, the the stuff that the, the things like managing burnout, managing mental health and whatnot, you, you do those things so you can have the hard discussions about performance. Yes. Right? Because if you can make someone more resilient and more adaptable, you know, as a whole, it's much easier to manage them on sales numbers or growth numbers or like, you know, purely sort of data driven message uh, um, strategies because you've already handled those other things. And I mm -hmm. think sometimes that's what we miss. It's either one or the other, either I'm this hard ass manager where I just want to just tell people what to do and that's all, you know, or I'm this like super soft, super supportive manager, but never has those other conversations. And we have to yes. figure out where to sort of meet in between. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned data because I think that's actually where, of course, you know, if you do have to have a difficult feedback conversation, that's never anything anyone wants to do. But if you set the expectation that feedback is important and then you have the data to support the conversation you need to have, again, awkward, uncomfortable, of course, but better because you're leaning on something not, I heard this thing didn't go well or, you know, something yeah. kind of fluffy like that. Totally, totally. Um, and so the thing I think that's so interesting about your story is so you were, you know, learning a lot about yourself in the military, you then helped these amazing athletes clearly achieve some huge goals. How did you then turn that into thinking about teams, uh, corporate teams performances? Yeah. One of the primarily things, primary things I did with professional athletes was I worked in a sports science uh, component. And what that meant was that we use data, um, and most of the time physiological data, but also training load and a bunch of other things to ultimately predict performance or predict injury on the field, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, if you take a, you know, a four year sort of outline of like start to Olympics, all right, we would have to map out that whole entire process where we want to peak and then monitor it through the whole entire period of time, mm -hmm. ultimately having this upward curve of performance, right? And maximizing you know, we call it PRing, so like breaking a personal record mm -hmm. at the Olympics. You know, so that's what we did. And we understood, well, let me regress a little bit. One of the bigger things that we looked at is making sure that we always keep an athlete ready to perform, mm -hmm. like in a state of readiness, right? Because you're either in a state of readiness or you're in a state of recovery, right? Um, or you're in a state of like burnout or mm -hmm. overtraining, right? So we want to make sure we avoided um, that overtraining aspect of it. But all that stuff is quantifiable, right? Yeah. So burnout, mental health issues, performance issues, mindset issues, it's all very quantifiable with data. Um, and the way that we looked at it 
as from an employee standpoint, we should be managing the performance of our teams, much like a sports team manages the performance of their athletes, mm-hmm. right? Because we have the data and we have to know how to do it. But most of the time, we, we no one's applying it on the corporate side. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So what we did is we we took our, our my, me and my partner, we took our background from sports science and we built out a platform that early detects things like burnout and mental health issues, performance issues and culture issues. Um, but instead of giving that information to managers to make better decisions, we make that the employee the object of control. We mm-hmm. take that data and we provide services and strategies and education and events all designed around to help each individual employee reduce their chances or get out of burnout, increase their overall state of mental health, uh, become better high performers, better team players, all those other things. So that's mm-hmm. really, you know, if you think about it, you know, like you said, I went from the military trying to sort of optimize myself to professional sports, trying to optimize professional sports as professional athletes. And now we're trying to make better high-performing individuals, which directly correlates to better high-performing companies. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so unique about your platform is, and the way you're approaching it is focusing on the individual. To your point, so many uh, tools that, especially as an HR person, you know, are trying to be sold to me is notice what's happening in your organization, which is, of course, helpful. But at the end of the day, that becomes me managing others. Well, I think if you can manage yourself, there's so much more buy-in, there's recognition. It's like, oh, this is about making me better, not my manager saw something and is approaching me about it. Totally. And we try to do that with everything else in life other than work, right? Mm-hmm. Like managing our health and our overall health. Like that's a big thing with within medicines, right? Is trying to get individuals to manage their health better, right? Yeah. Through preventative care, through you know, and through applications, which schedule your your blood pressure medicine and all these other things. Like, there's a big onus that comes on to the individual of managing that process. But in the work environment, everything unfortunately ends up being so self-serving to the benefit of the company yeah. that it's never actually about making the employee better, regardless of how it affects the company. Yeah. And that's where. Personally, I think we should be. We should be at a place where let's just make our, our human beings that happen to work in our environment yeah. better people and better human beings. And then we'll see, hopefully see, a, an output on the company side. Well, and when you think about it too, especially around burnout, stress, mental health, as much as it kills me to say this, there's still a stigma. People are concerned there's a stigma about that. And especially when it comes from either a manager or a leader or HR, people are worried about you know how they come across if you know um, they're having anxiety or depression or, or burnout. And again, I think if you put it for them, it's, it's the company saying, we're worried about you. We want you to be the best you can be. Here's a platform that you can use to help yourself. Yeah. And it maybe removes some of that concern about stigma. Even if a company is saying all the right things, the individual still may not feel that way. Yeah, it's a, we're, I, we're in a place right now, which is exciting, but it's like a transition time, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have this sort of legacy ways of sort of managing teams and managing companies and whatnot. And then you have this other aspect where it's this like human first sort of approach where, you know, employees are fitting work around their life and not fitting life around their work. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, you know, you, you speak on mental health, the legacy aspect of a manager or that word boss yeah. is, is really interesting because 
if I want to speak about mental health my, to my boss in most circumstances, it potentially risks my job, mm-hmm. right? Because what happens? That means I perform less or that manager has such an ego that I'm directly calling that person out on his manager style and your leadership style and, you know, and essentially jeopardizing his livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, when it comes down to things like this from a company perspective, we have to understand that we potentially shorten lifespans of people, mm-hmm. meaning our jobs and our careers. It's one of the biggest stressors we have in our total, entire life. And we do have to take some level of responsibility for that. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, is that we, up until this point, you know, with, with what we're doing, there's never any data to actually support it on where you should be spending, how you should be spending, you know, um, and then potentially even correlating that back to performance. Sometimes when it gets to that point where the manager is saying something, or like I said, I have some platform that tells me someone is, you know, at risk for whatever reason, it might be too far in their risk level. If I have, if, if it's something that I'm looking at and it's like, you know, Karen warning there's this platform is seeing signals, um, you know, that you're getting stressed or whatever, maybe I as Karen can approach that and work with that before it ever gets to the point that I'm actually burned out and I have to talk to my manager about it and all that. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, it ends up being a situation too. It's like where, at what point is that person too far down that line where yes. you doing something is going to make um, a change? Yeah. Right. Um, I, I love HR managers. If I said anything else, I would never sell my business. So <laughs> I love you guys for like, <laughs> you know. Um, but that being said, we, we, you guys, we as companies, we run into an issue where at what point are we out of our scope? You know, and burnout, like true, like it's a medical diagnosis yes. at this point, right? So how can how can we expect a, a manager or an HR manager or a founder to potentially treat a medical diagnosis by giving someone a day off or yeah. managing a little less, right? Especially when you start getting into the farther reaches of burnout, where now there's mental health issues, there's physical issues, mm-hmm. you know, that potentially show themselves in depression, alcoholism, yeah divorce and all these other things, which are very, very bad. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm so glad that you bring such a unique perspective of the, the science and the um, physiological, physiological side of things and able to now bring it into quote unquote, the corporate world yeah. um, to help companies think through that. A good example of that, right, would be what normally happens when you have a kid fresh out of college who starts who starts working for you what normally happens to that person in a lot of companies not necessarily you yeah they usually get thrown into the fire right so they get thrown into the fire you know spending depending on the organization they're putting in more than eight hour days they're getting all this stuff dumped on them all because it's end up being a sink or swim mentality mm-hmm. right now think back to my background within professional sports if I were to give a, a freshman, you know, athlete coming into college, if I were to give him the workload of a senior about to graduate who's about to go into the Olympics, what would happen? They would crash and burn. Exactly. They would crash and burn, right? And we have to think on a longer perspective. Mm-hmm. So when we have new employees start, like, why don't we think it from a physiological perspective? Why don't we manage their stress in smaller amounts, give them smaller workloads so you 
because you know you think about it stress is like a it's a window like we call it the window of opportunity mm. all right every time you stress out an employee that window of opportunity closes yeah. so we want to try to manage our people to keep that window open so they can excel as much as possible mm -hmm. and you don't have that burnout mental health window that just slams shut on them yeah that's a great way to look at it and i think companies sometimes get you know, either they're behind in their hiring, so they're like, oh my God, you're here, thank, thank goodness, like here's a thousand things I needed you to do yesterday, mm -hmm. um, versus giving them the chance and to actually grow and develop in a healthier way so that, because at the end of the day, if we do that to a person, they're going to leave us sooner than we want them to, and we're back in the exact same situation. But it's so hard for companies to see that because they're like, oh my God, we've been underwater, thank goodness you're here. Yeah, I, I think... Uh a good term that I really love to use is that there's always a cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's a, a people cost, right? Yeah. So we have to take that into account of what is the cost of scaling to 10 X? What is the cost of closing a, a series C or series E or whatever? You know, what is the cost of requesting your team to push out that product within 60 days? Yeah. Because the companies that win are the companies that can, produce over and over again at very high levels. Mm -hmm. But if you push out that product in 60 days and you burn out your whole entire team and you reduce morale, you know, you're not able to do that again for potentially another six months. Yes. So we need to properly manage our team so they can produce over and over again and stay on that upward curve. Yeah, absolutely. It's such an important thing for companies to think about, but also for individuals to think about, you know, what, what are your triggers? What are your warning signs? Um, so if you don't have a, a platform like yours to use, know it about yourself and then think about what you're then bringing to different companies, different teams, what's the right organization for you to be a part of if you, once you sort of do that self-evaluation. Yeah, I think for companies, and this is a good tool, just use a simple survey, you know, mm -hmm. and understand you know, to a before and after um, and use a little trend line to figure mm -hmm. out like, you know, mental health or morale during that time. And then just use that as your measuring stick, right? So the next time that you want to push out that product in 60 days or 30 days and have everybody work 18 hour, you know, days, um, look what the data showed you and figure out how you manipulate that through that time. So it isn't as um, extensive or I'm sorry, intensive for your employees. Yeah. Yeah, makes total sense. Well, as we wrap up, uh, you shared a lot of advice along the way, but as you think about your career journey and the moments you've made different decisions, is there any sort of final or final advice or like if there's only one thing you take away, please do this as people think about their own career journeys? Yeah, I I would say is that we all have, you know, a passion, you know, that, that we like to do. Um, and it's okay to sort of throw yourself into that, but understand that that passion might just have different directions and different angles that it takes you in, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I started trying to change, you know, careers from being in sort of sports science and then going into tech, like for me, that was almost like a failure, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, I, I decided I didn't want to do this specific aspect of my passion. But, it, you know, what I did is I just figured out where I could sort of fit in. Yeah. Um, and there's always an opportunity to be fit in, to, to be creative and to be different. Um, you just got to take that passion and then just apply it to something else. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey, sharing your advice and your thought on overall sort of individual performance. I think it's something that we don't take enough time to talk about. And it's obviously a very important topic always, but especially, you know, right now in the second half of 2020. Yeah. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been great. Thank you again to Brian for sharing his story of how he built his career one role after another as he continued to define his purpose. 
I hope today's conversation helped inspire you. And if it did, please consider subscribing to this podcast, sharing it with others, and leaving a rating and review on the platform of your choice. You can also check out our Facebook group, Career Changers, to continue the conversation. Until next time, remember, there's always a way to get off the hamster wheel. Thank you.